My name is Bill Lucas. I'm one of the pastors here at Golden Hills. I serve at the Community Outreach Center. Been on staff right around two years, actually two years November. A little bit about me, I am uh, a guy that reads out of the ESV, the extra spiritual version, uh, like <laughs> Phil. Um, I have a bald head by choice. I shave it. Every once in a while, my daughter or my wife will tell me to grow my hair out, and after about two weeks, they say, okay, Dad, just shave it. They like it better. I've been married 22 years to an amazing woman by the name of Rhonda. She absolutely loves kids, uh, amongst other things. But kids, I think, is her knack. We, we've adopted some. We've attempted to adopt some. We've fostered kids. We, we recently were in the process of adopting two more. We had eight kids in the house, and it was chaos. <laughs> but it was a party every day, so we loved it. So currently six kids, my oldest is 18 and my youngest is eight. Uh, my 18 is a senior in high school, he's at a charter school, he goes one day a week. He just finished eight units at uh, LMC. He runs a business, he answers the business line, schedules the service calls and does all the service. He is uh, also a police explorer in Brentwood and it's perfect for his personality to be that busy. My daughter, 16, Alyssa, is ambitious, she has a truck. It's an older truck. It occasionally needs attention. I will go out there and begin to work on it. I enjoy working on it. She'll say, Dad, if you do it, I won't learn how to do it. Or she'll beat me out there to learn it. I've heard that for years. If you do it, I don't learn. So she desires to learn and grow in her abilities in different areas. Quinn is 14. He's gifted with people. He will come up and shake people's hands, look at them in the eyes. He's a lover of people. That's what I've always said. And... Uh, He's good with gaming. He, I should say not gaming, but YouTube. He's posts his own videos on YouTube. And then we have Zaire. Zaire, about four days ago, got a Rubik's Cube. I don't even know if he knew what it was prior to four days ago. He looked on the Internet and found out how to solve it, and he's probably in four days solved it 10 or 12 times, literally. <laughs> Just has the algorithm down. That kid will go out, and he'll shoot basketball for four or six hours all by himself just to improve and then Marco is my artist. He loves to draw, probably one of the best artists of all my kids. And then Kai, he, he loves hanging out with his friends. He'd rather not sit in front of TV or anything. He just wants to ride his bike. So that's a little snapshot about my family. Uh, if you are watching us on live stream, we are glad that you are watching us. We hope that you are blessed with this message. Our desire is that this sermon doesn't replace your involvement in a local church as a believer, um, we desire that you are plugged in. Um, over the holidays, a number of our church families had to say goodbye to their loved ones. And uh, one of those was Kevin Philippi. He went home to be with the Lord. His family held a service for him yesterday at the Covenant Church in Antioch. We continue to pray for his wife, April, his children, James, Sam, and Katie, as well as his parents, Roger and Susan and the rest of the family during this difficult time. We also continue to pray for so many others that they suffered grief over the loss of their loved ones. As I kick off into my sermon, I have one question that I want to ponder. We're heading into 2018. What would it be like if we trembled at the word of God? What would be the response of a people that trembled at the word of God. One of my favorite 
passages is Isaiah 66. It says in verse 2, but the one to whom I look is he who is humble, contrite in spirit, and trembles at my word. I think it would be better than any great Bible study. It would be better than memorizing scripture. It's better than great exegesis of scripture. It would lead us to obedience. We would read scripture and walk out the door and obey what it says. And uh, that's a passage that I have pondered quite a bit this year, that I desire that to be true in my life in every way. And uh, we're going to read through John chapter 13. So I'm going to pray real quick. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you love us and you care for us. Thank you that we know you because of your word. Thank you for the cross that gives us life and hope that we have purpose, that we don't live aimlessly, but in pursuit of you, Lord. Pray that you are honored with this time and that you take each and every one of us and move us closer to you. You know everyone in this room. You know every detail about all of us. Your greatest desire is that we would fall more in love with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. John 13 starts off verse 1. It says, Now the feast, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that the hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the hearts of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hand, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that he had wrapped around him. He came to Simon and Peter, Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do not wash my feet. Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except his feet. But he is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet, he put on his outer garments, and he resumed his place. And he said to them, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done for you. Truly I, truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than a master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. Whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Now here in this passage, Jesus is modeling discipleship. He is modeling this relational investment into the disciples. The disciples have walked with Jesus for three plus years and they've seen everything. And, and they walk in here and essentially what I see Jesus, he, he is showing them that he absolutely cares. Now keep in mind that he knows that the hour has come, that his time is nearly up. He's going to be crucified and he's going back to the Father. He begins to show the disciples that he cares about a willing heart of humility. A couple of facts about what's happening is it appears that, that Jesus and the disciples came into the banquet room straight from the street. In this case, it would be customary for the host to appoint a servant to the menial task of taking off the sandals and washing the disciples' feet. It was obvious that the banquet was taking place in secret as there was no servant present. The disciples were not quick to volunteer to washing the other's feet as it would have been submission to inferiority to the others. In fact, the Gospel of Luke has them kind of arguing about who is going to be the greatest in heaven as they walk into this banquet room. I imagine the disciples who often lack faith are, are bickering back and forth as they walk into this room. There, I'm the greatest, no, I'm going to be the greatest, and and Jesus kind of leads them in, whether they realize there's no servant or not, they have a seed, and they're definitely not going to be the one to step up and wash someone's feet. And at that point, Jesus gets up and takes the role of a servant and washes the disciples' feet. He takes the towel that's around his waist, bends over at the level of their feet, and begins cleaning. Now, this is the same Jesus that John the Baptist said, I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. He's now serving sacrificially. Now, let me just give you an illustration that might reach home. If I were to tell you that the president was coming to your house today to clean your bathrooms and to do your laundry, how would you respond? Okay, maybe not the best illustration, but let's imagine a world leader who's coming to your house to clean your bathrooms and your laundry. Now, I've seen some of your bathrooms. They are so clean. You're sitting there. You're not worried. But I have six kids. I'm a little worried. How do you respond? No, no, I don't want you cleaning my bathrooms. Do you run in there and clean your, your bathrooms and do your laundry and say, no, it's okay? This isn't any world leader. This is the Messiah. This is King Jesus that serves sacrificially. We go back to verse 12. When he had washed their feet, he put on his outer garments. He resumed his place and said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done for you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. As I 
have studied this passage, it genuinely makes me desire to serve other people more than myself. That's the response I have here. Jesus modeled, he taught and he modeled, he showed the example of discipleship. And then he said, go do as I have done for you. And I read that and I think, how can I love people more sacrificially? How can I serve people for the sake of God's kingdom? Well, I've got a guy that discipled me, um, invested in my life quite a bit. Um, he spoke here at a marriage conference, uh, I think it was about a year and a half ago. I was sitting up here in the corner, and when he shared this story, I wanted to crawl under the bench because the story was about me. He had mentioned that he had done, uh, it was Francis Chan, he spoke here, he had mentioned that he had, um, had a guy that he had just done a wedding for. And two weeks later, that guy called and said, my wife just hit me in the head with the phone. What do I do? And yes, I wanted to hide. And uh, he said, go in the house and love her as Christ loved the church. And I said, you didn't hear me. She just hit me in the head with the phone. And he said, I heard you. Go love her as Christ loved the church. And, and uh, the reality is over the next probably year, this guy spoke into my life in amazing ways. He had asked my wife and I, you know, we were looking to move in with the in-laws. He said, why don't you stay with us and we'll help you get out of debt. We had moved in with him and, and we believed we were just moving in to get out of debt. But God's agenda was that we were going to see a godly example of a husband and wife. Now, I don't want to paint a bad picture here. Let me, let me pause you. The reality is we all came out of brokenness. Um, by the age of 13, I had dropped out of school. When I was nine, my alcoholic father left. My mom had no authority in my life at all. She would say, I'm going to ground you, and I would say, I'm going to move in with dad, and she didn't want to lose me. And so we went from a little bit of money to, to almost no money, and I was running the streets doing what I wanted to do. My sister had just married this guy, and he had needed somebody to, to pick roots out of the soil for compaction. He was a heavy equipment operator. He called me. And I went and worked for him. I was raised in L.A. This was out on a ranch. I went and worked for him. And uh, the next weekend I worked for him. I made a few dollars. I was excited to be out of the environment. He said, if you go back to school and get your grades up, you can stay the summer. So I stayed the summer and worked and made money and learned to have a work ethic. Now, uh, at the end of the summer, he says, you've done good. You can move in. Now, he was very broken. He was an alcoholic. He would smoke uh, marijuana in front of me and say, don't do it until you're 18, and when you do, you do it in moderation. And while you live here, you're going to get straight A's. And so here I'm growing up in this environment thinking this is abnormal. And um, I remember one time saying, Dominic, I love you. And he said, why? I said, because you're like a dad to me. And his response was, so? So I never said I love you again to him. Well, my wife also had a broken environment. We had taken what we had learned from our upbringing and we had replicated that. We had modeled our experiences and, and translated that. My, my example of a father was this guy who was a dictator. When he said jump, we were saying how high because we didn't want the wrath of him. That was my example of a father. Well, here now we're a father and a husband. Now we're married and we end up moving in with Francis and Lisa. In fact, I remember painting the outside of Francis's house one time. 11 hours we were out there painting. And when we were done painting, we came inside and Elisa said, uh, she was stressed and he was asking, what can I do? 
And in my head, I'm thinking, I don't know what she's been doing the last 11 hours, but I know what we were doing. <laughs> and before I know it, Francis is vacuuming and he's doing dishes. Uh, I'm an early riser. I would see Francis wake up and get in the Word every single morning. Nothing ever got in the way of him spending time in the Word, spending time with God. I would travel with him when he would speak. We'd sometimes get four or five hours. He would get up early and spend time in the Word. What Francis did is he not only taught, but he modeled through relationship. Francis and I went to the gym a couple of times a week, and he'd ask me hard questions. He'd ask me about my marriage. He'd encourage me to live faithfully. He'd point me to Scripture. And through that, God brought change into my marriage. That is really, it's all God that God chose to use a man. Now, if I didn't have a relationship with him, there would be no discipleship. I'm convinced that discipleship has a very real relational component. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. Francis and Lisa imitated Jesus and we imitated them. We're not perfect, but clearly as a result of their investment, we see scripture more, we see it more clearly. And uh, if we go back to John 13, Jesus modeled discipleship. Clearly he modeled this. He showed the example of how to live, how to love, how to serve for the purpose of building his kingdom. After supper, he was betrayed by Judas Iscariot. He was handed over to be crucified. He was forced to walk two and a half miles over a sleepless night. During which he suffered great anguish through six trials. He was mocked and ridiculed and severely beaten. He was abandoned by his friends, and he died a brutal death. This is the part that amazes me. Jesus was hung on a cross and died a brutal death. So that that punk kid that only thought about himself, that dropped out of school at a young age, would no longer have to pay the penalty of his sin. That today I have life. I have hope. I have a future in eternity. That amazes me. See, and the reality is we're all in the same boat. We all have our own selfish desires. Those selfish desires where you pursue your comfort, your things, your agendas is often referred to as sin in Scripture. And God hates sin. He, he doesn't like it. And God is a just God And as a result of being a just God, he says that the wage of sin is death. That is a physical death and it is a spiritual death. All of us will experience a physical death. Not all of us will experience a spiritual death. The reason is because Jesus hung on a cross. So you and I didn't have to. It says in Romans 10.9, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and saved. The reality is we don't do anything to earn it. We don't get eternity because we've done it. He died and did it all. He is a perfect judge when it comes to sin, and I'll illustrate this way. If you all were driving in, every one of us, it would be a shame and sad, but you got a ticket on the way in for running a red light, 
and in two weeks you showed up in front of the judge, the judge would say, how do you plea? You would say, guilty, Your Honor, but I've ran through 6,854 green lights. <laughs> it's not the question. How do you plea? Well, guilty, Your Honor, but I, I, I'm a good guy. I, I saw your car in the parking lot and washed it before I came in. <laughs> How do you plea? Guilty. See, according to this passage and so many others, that Jesus absolutely bore our sacrifice. That if we place our faith in him, and, and again, not the believe that you would in George Washington, the believe that has obedience, that has follow-through. If you've placed your faith in him, you have an eternity secured. And we have hope in the future. I often don't know why me, though. I have family members that are not saved. Why me, Lord? I don't deserve it. I encounter people all the time, and they're not saved. Why me? I, I don't know that answer, but what I do know is that he didn't save me so that I would take this cure and put it in my pocket. He saved me so that I would take this cure and share it with others that they might as well have salvation. That's the reason he saved me. Now Jesus dies, comes back to life for one purpose. Matthew 28 18 through 20, to tell the disciples to make disciples. Matthew 28, 18 says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. A disciple are those who hear, understand, and obey the word of God. If you hear, understand, and obey the word of God, you are a disciple. Just like the disciples were disciples. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. In response to the, the Holy Spirit being in us, he leads us to convictions. When I am tempted with sin or if I give in to sin, I'm convicted. I feel guilty which leads me to repentance and turning back to Jesus. When I read scripture, Jesus is illuminated by the power of the Holy Spirit. I understand it. And when I see something in scripture, most of the time I obey, which comes back to my desire to tremble at his word at everything I see. This verse, Jesus states that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. It always was his. He never lost it. He's just reiterating that in light of his Death, burial, and resurrection, it's still his. He controls all things on heaven and on earth. He is telling the disciples that it's all in my hands. Go make disciples. This is the great commission. It's a mandate. God is basically saying that if you are a disciple, be faithful to make disciples. We do this by loving the lost and showing an example of Christ in love. By building relationships with people. And pointing them toward Jesus. That in his authority some might believe. Imagine that if we all intentionally walked into the grocery store and sought out one teller for the sake of building relationships. That God in his authority could use that. I imagine that when I love my neighbors a certain way, sacrificially, humbly, God could use that. 
were to invest in helping younger believers grow in faithfulness, just like Francis did with me. I could tell you wholeheartedly that I am today a pastor, first and foremost because God did a work in my life. But I never sought out to be a pastor. It wasn't my goal. I was in construction and I was enjoying it. But Francis believed in me. He saw this kid that was willing to take steps of obedience and the Lord did a rest. My brother-in-law didn't believe in me. He told me how worthless I was, that I had no value. Even when I became a believer, I believed that I was worthless. And because one guy just invested and believed, God has used that. I wonder how investing in people would change God's direction. Not God's direction, but their outcome. There is a warning in Scripture. It's not a grave warning. It's not a salvation warning. But it's, it's a warning saying that, hey, some of you, there's a reward. And some of you, you're going to lose that reward. It's, it's 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. Verse 10, it says, according to the grace God has given me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. This is Paul speaking. And someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold and silver and precious stones, wood, hay, and straw... Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as though through fire. I want to make clear that we're not saved based on what we do. I said that earlier. I'll say it again. He did it all. But this passage points that, that if our investment is in our comfort and our, uh, our focus, our selfish desires, that when it's tested, it's going to burn up. See, test, this word fire in Scripture references either consuming or refining. That's how it's used figuratively in Scripture. And so if our investment is everything but God, when it's tested, it'll be consumed no more. And the scripture says we will make it into eternity, but only as though through fire. Because we make it because of the blood of Jesus. But for those that invest into people spiritually, that, that have a care to see lost people know Jesus, that have a care to help new believers grow in faith, you will have a reward. And I think it's the only reward you can take with you in heaven. You ever invest in someone and then later hear them talk about it and your name comes up? Kind of makes you feel, right. Oh, I invested. Could you imagine those accolades in God's presence? How exciting that would be to know that you were doing what the Father had asked you to do? Now, I've, someone said, I don't know if I want rewards. I just want to go to heaven. I'm with you. I just want to go to heaven too. But I don't want to go as though barely through fire. And I'd love to have those accolades in his presence. I've had seasons in my life where I've missed it. I genuinely can say that. I have missed it. 
Amen. Um, thank you, Jesus, for the blood that he shed. Because when God looks at me, he doesn't see the mistakes. He just sees the blood of Jesus. And that's where I hang my hope. I believe that Golden Hills is filled with faithful people. I genuinely do. I see the testimony of God's work here. I see it in the youth ministries as my kids are there. I see it at the COC and the Antioch campus. I believe that, that faithful people are hearing scripture and being obedient and God is using you. There's another side of it that I wonder if in unison that we went out and loved people for the gospel. I wonder if Antioch and Brentwood and Oakley would have a different flavor if every encounter was humble, sacrificial, with a servant's heart like Jesus had. If God and all of his authority would use that so that some might know him. I wonder. Matthew 22, uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees are testing Jesus. They gather together and a lawyer asks Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. I read this and realize that this is definitely one of those areas that I have not been faithful. I hear Larry and Phil up here every week preaching and as I have been studying this over the last couple of weeks, the Lord has convicted me that I'm not sure that my neighbors have been loved by Bill for the sake of the gospel. There's, the, there's a guy, a friend of mine, who, who has a dealership in SoCal, and I was talking to him recently, and he went to Pennsylvania, and he encountered a, some Amish people. He thought it would be neat just to talk to them. You hear about their ethics and I just want to have a few questions. And so he's telling me that when he got in front of this guy, he asked this Amish guy, are you a Christian? And the guy said, well, I could tell you whatever you want to hear. He said, but do you see that guy over there? That guy's my neighbor. And the guy even farther down, he's my other neighbor. Why don't you go ask them if I'm a Christian? They'll tell you the truth. And I thought, oh, I was telling me I was feeling convicted. It was literally recent. Ah, like, oh, Lord, Okay. So I know I have a desire to improve my ability to love, serve, and care for people to build God's kingdom. God is calling us to make disciples. When he asked the disciples to make disciples, he was only asking them to make what they were in other people. To invest in them and give them the truth. I often hear people say, I can't make disciples. I'm not qualified. I don't know enough scripture. But if you are a disciple, if you are one who loves God, who understands his word and obeys it, then you have what it takes to help other people know who Jesus is. You have absolutely what it takes. And I believe it was his exact plan that we would live faithfully so that people would know him. Now, of course, today is the COC Sunday. I have wrestled because my greatest prayer is that God would be honored today. I, I don't desire that you all would come serve at the COC. It's not my desire. I have prayed intently that we would hear from him, that you would be moved to faithfulness. That's been my, my whole heart. 
is that people would grow in faithfulness. If you're not serving, that you would figure out what it means to serve. If you're not living intentionally, that you would figure that out so that you would receive the reward that is promised to us. Now, of course, COC Sunday, um, I see all the ministry happening over there. I've been in ministry over 20 years. And I will tell you that in two years of ministry, I have seen more things happen than a lot of years. There is so much happening over there. God clearly has his hand on it. And so I just want to show you a quick video and then we'll, I'll come back up here real quick. The purpose of the COC is to glorify God by making disciples who will impact the local community and the world by transforming lives and changing culture for Christ. Discipleship happens through relationship. Relationships where transparency exists and individuals are willing to be vulnerable. At the COC, we desire to foster such relationships with both our ministry partners and our guests that we serve. There are a variety of ministries each week, all in which are platforms for such relationships to take place. Resource and referral ministry, connecting people's needs with existing resources in our community, such as jobs, income, housing, and long-term residential discipleship programs. Brown Bag Ministry, Pastor Phil Hill teaches from the Word of God every week and groceries are provided for senior citizens ages 55 and over that live in the city of Antioch. Children's Ministries, during a portion of the evening meal service, children's ministry is taking place every weeknight. Children learn Bible stories, scripture memorization, and have playtime. In addition, there is weekly tutoring for all grades and kids club that meets once a month on Saturdays to do various fun activities throughout the year. All of this is done in a safe and loving environment that is often contrary to the life they know. Evening meal service. We conduct a church service that consists of worship and someone sharing the word of God every weeknight, followed by a large hot meal feeding anywhere from 350 to 400 meals per week. It is this setting that has been a catalyst towards other ministries represented at the COC. Approximately 70% of our guests have residents locally and about 30% are homeless. We hope to be able to wisely engage with the hurting among us and lovingly challenge people to take ownership for themselves. In this, they can identify how God has made them and desires them to thrive. It is our goal to help people overcome obstacles and connect them to God's purposes. If the Lord is calling you to serve at the COC, please sign up for an informational tour and dinner today. Our hope is to equip you and train you as well as all our ministry partners that serve at the COC to make disciples through intentional relationships. We did an informational tour for the staff at, at the COC and most of them had no idea of everything that happened down there. Two times a week, we have teams of people that go out on visitation. They show up at people's houses, usually by request. They love on them. They encourage them. They encounter people on the street. They love on them and encourage them to know about other parts of the ministry. Reality is people want to be loved. So often when these visitation teams encounter these individuals, they end up showing up. 
because they know it's a place where they can get loved. Tuesday and Thursday every week and starting next week, we're going to start at a Wednesday, resource and referral. That's where we have a team of people that will meet with individuals that come through the front door for various reasons. Job finding, resume writing, counseling, financial counseling, um, long-term residential programs. In fact, recently we had a guy come through. He says, I know you guys couldn't help me with what I needed, but I could absolutely tell that you loved, uh, cared about me. And so that's our desire, resource and referral. Monday through Friday, evening meal, you heard a little bit about that. I've seen from 60, as many as 140 people come in on a night and have a meal. And that's an environment where we want to just build relationships with people so that the gospel is advanced. We have kids ministry. We've had as many as 40 kids lately. Vans going out and picking up multiple routes of kids, bringing them in that come in five nights a week. Uh, Talk about God's work, a young man that went home and constantly shared Jesus with his family who came to faith. I think Pastor Gary had mentioned this in the past. Uh, that uh, The family came to faith. They're now serving. He's in the kitchen. She's a greeter, and, and he's actually employed by Golden Hills in the maintenance department as a result of what happens down there. Men and women's Bible study, growth for life and jobs for life. Growth for life is where we take the guest in-house and help them understand that that broken identity they have isn't accurate, that through the blood of Jesus they have been redeemed and reconciled, that they should operate in the understanding that they are a people reconciled. And we help them know that their story is not based on their past, but what God is doing in their life today. And then the Jobs for Life is a program that we're running that will be a job training, kind of a a faith-based curriculum that moves people to soft skills for interviews and and helps them progress into a working environment. So maybe if somebody's not working, gives them an understanding that we want to move them into a working environment. Or maybe they are working, but they need a change. So they uh, would get a mentor through both the Growth for Life and Jobs for Life, and it would lead them into what's next in their life. I see God using faithful people down there clearly. Um, disciples are being made in many different ministries. God is doing a work. He is building his church. People are serving at the COC They're either discipling people or they're being discipled themselves and learning that one day they will in turn make disciples. It'll be a spiritual investment endeavor. I think that every one of you should come to an informational tour. I do, really, and I'll tell you why. I believe that God has established so many resources in Antioch at the COC through faithful people here, through Golden Hills. So much happens there that I think you all need to be aware of the resource that's there. As you encounter people on a regular basis, it's a resource that you could point people to. And uh, and I think some of you, maybe the Lord's stirring in your heart about serving down there. If that's the case, you should come to an informational tour as well. In your bulletin, everybody pull this out real quick. Go ahead, lift up your bulletin, pull that out. I know, exercise, movement, not ready to, cozy, warm. So this has the next informational tours. My request is that you would sign up. If all of you showed up at the next tour, I would be overwhelmed. Or Pastor Gary would be overwhelmed. So um, if, if you want to know more about it, we have some tables in the courtyard that you could stop by. And we have a sheet with all the different ministries down there. Again, before the Lord, it's not that you would all serve there. It's that you would all grow in your faithfulness. And that God will move people where he sees fit for the best 
and his glory. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for, for loving us. Thank you for Jesus and the cross. God, I am so thankful that I don't live life aimlessly, that I have purpose. I'm thankful that you give me a family, a spiritual family, Lord, that we could display you and our love for one another. God, that there's a mission, that the cure isn't just for me, it's for others. Please, Lord, help us to walk in step with you that in your sovereign, divine control that you might work through us to reach some, Lord. We love you and we pray this in your precious son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.